Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson, and I'm the Managing Editor of Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Tyler Tischler from Superior Book Promotions in Marquette, Michigan. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 145 in our series. Tonight's topic will be our 2011 Publishing and Marketing Roundtable. We'll start off by uh, having uh, each of us uh, introduce ourselves in our own words. I guess I'll go first. Uh, For those of you who are new to the show, I'm the owner of uh, Loving Healing Press, which I said, and we publish uh, self-help, personal growth, and disability recovery books. And I also have a line of books called Modern History Press, which covers biography and memoir. Well, I'm Tyler Tischler, and I have uh, Market Fiction, which is my own publishing company and publishes uh, Upper Michigan books, novels, and nonfiction. Um, I also own Superior Book Promotions, which is an editing, proofreading, book review service. And uh, I have also childrenofarthur.com, which is a a website about the Arthurian legend. And um, I have King Arthur's Children, which was published by Victor's Company, our modern history press. And I'm Irene Watson, and I'm with Reader Views. I started uh, Reader Views in 2005 as a book review service, and from then we uh, established uh, all kinds of other packages for authors, including a lot of author publicity, videos, interviews. We have an awards program. We also have Reader Views Kids, which entails children's books only, and it's anything from the toddler to the teen and some young adult. We only have kids review the kids' books. And I'm also uh, managing editor of First Chapter Plus, which is an e-catalog that is sent to libraries and independent bookstores. Awesome. So between the three of us, we have pretty uh, broad coverage uh, from publishing to editing and writing marketing and everything in between. So that's great. So this thing sort of our unofficial uh, fifth anniversary. We thought we'd do a little retrospective and look at uh, where we've come since uh, 2006. And, of course, the biggest, well, we can argue what the biggest change is, but no one can deny that e-books have become uh, certainly a big part of the, the whole picture. And just uh, dialing it back, it was September of 2006 that the first uh, Amazon Kindle reader launched. It wasn't like again, like the Model T was not the first car ever built, but it essentially became the most important first car ever built. And the same can be said for the uh, Amazon Kindle e-reader and the other platforms that followed. Um, so let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, Irene. Do you want to talk about e-books? in terms of what you see in terms of reviews and so on. Right. We actually get very few requests for ebook in uh, reviews, and I'm not sure why that is. Most of the reviews we get are for print books. But, but there are two components to this that I could talk about, and one is that most of my reviewers do not want to review ebooks. They rather would, would rather review and you know, read a book a paper book. And so that I, I find that quite interesting considering that ebooks are so popular and yet my adult reviewers don't want to really review them. 
I have two that will. Now, as far as the kids go, I actually don't have any children that want to review ebooks, which I find it very interesting. And sometimes when I do get these requests that are special requests, I often have to twist the child's hand to, you know, accept the book for review, which really surprises me. But they just don't want to. I don't know um, what, why, why that is. I have no idea. Interesting, because you do hear about you know adults giving their, introducing reading to their children, and they say, you know, look, Johnny, do you want to look at the iPad tonight or this this book? <laughs> so they, they give them a a choice more and more. Yeah, and I think probably this will happen. Now, I don't know as far as the kids go. It could be that it's, most of my kids that do review for me are homeschooled. And I find that homeschooled children are usually different in ways, you know, in scholastically or reading or writing. And they're just different than maybe kids that go to regular schools. And uh, so maybe that could be the difference, too. I don't know. All right. Uh, Tyler, uh, you want to give your perspective as a as an author on, on how e-books have impacted you or not impacted you in, in the past couple of years? Yeah, I just thinking uh, as far as reviews go, um, I know I did some reviews for Irene early on, and she sent me a couple that were e-books, and they were basically um, back in those days like PDF files that I had to read on my computer um, back before I had a laptop, so I'd have to sit at my, my desktop computer and read them, and it really was kind of an uncomfortable way of reading a book. Um, and I really have always been a lover of paper books. I really was not interested in reading e-books until just a few months ago. I did get a couple requests to write book reviews um, from people whose books only were in e-book format. And I, I think maybe part of the part of the issue is up until very recently, books were being published as both paper and ebook, and now I'm starting to see a lot more authors that are just doing solely ebook versions. And so I did actually break down and buy a Kindle reader so I could review a couple books that were only ebooks. And I actually was I was very surprised by how much I liked the Kindle reader. I didn't think that I would like it. Um, I, I found it very convenient, and what I really like about it is. I can set it down. It's, it, I don't have to hold the book, try to hold the pages open, so that helps a lot. And, uh, you know, if I was eating or something, I could hit the little button to have it read to me, which just made just made my life really easy. And as far as being an author, um, I've seen my sales go up. I know a lot of authors who have told me that they now sell more e-books than they do paper books. I haven't seen that happen yet, but every month, just about every month, I have sold more. And I've, I've sold before, and uh, I'm, I have a house where I am surrounded by books. I have a whole room that's just the library, and it's overflowing with books. And now I'm thinking, well, do I really want any more paper books in my house? Where am I going to put them? So, so I, I think I, uh, yeah, just a few months ago I was the opposite, but now I'm starting to think that e-books are definitely going to continue to be the trend, and that's where we're headed. Definitely. I think uh, this is going to be the year that everyone gets an e-reader in their stocking, whether they want one or not, because I mean, we're looking at more or less $80 is where 
the ebook readers are heading. Uh, which brings me to the point of uh, uh, maintaining book prices seems to be a problem that's coming up rather quickly. Uh, four year, three, four years ago, ebooks were the benchmark was two thirds of the price of the printed book. So a twenty dollar book, people would expect to see the ebook for thirteen dollars and. The latest information from consumers is they really don't want to pay more than $5. And I've been kind of holding out, uh, keeping my stuff more or less near $8.95 yeah, for, the, for the full-length books. Well, I know that there are a lot of people that also sell them for $0.99. Cents, and I suppose that probably they go for volume rather than anything else. And, or, you know, that's why they drop it down to the $0.99. Cents. Well, I just think they're out to get the spontaneous book buyers. I can imagine that there are lots of people that buy, like, every book that looks interesting to them for $0.99. Cents. How many of those people actually will read the books, I, I don't know. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are authors who don't care if people read their books as long as they're selling the books. Well, it's interesting because I, I'm working with one author, and he has put his books uh, down for $0.99 cents in Kindle, and he's actually selling quite a few, but what we're also noticing and observing is he's getting a lot of reviews, but a lot of those reviews are just really bashing the book. And, you know, so he's got the whole spectrum from, let's say, on Amazon from five-star to one-star. And it seems that when it comes to, in his case, the readers that buy the Kindle, the 99-cent Kindle version, are the ones that give really low stars and really bash the book. So, you know, who knows? We just can't predict what the reader will like or want or if they even read the book. Yeah, I. some authors have, you know, told me that that readers expect less for a two ninety nine ebook, and I don't necessarily agree with that. <laughs> and yeah. you've got some great evidence there. <laughs> One thing that well, I, Jeff... I think that goes to the whole the whole self publishing issue. I mean, if it's an ebook, you know, it can be self published just as as the same as uh, you know, if one of the major publishers publishers publishes it as an ebook, you maybe are expecting higher quality, and so you know, it it, it, it just may have something to do with that. Well, it's really easy to publish an ebook. It doesn't take very much to be able to do that. And I agree with the quality because what I'm seeing also that, you know, I scan reviews to see actually what is being said. And in many cases, the editing issues are huge. There was one um, ebook that I looked at the other day, and it was, uh, I think, there was like 174 reviews on it. It was a self published book. But I would say 90% of the people that left a review also said that, you know, just horrible editing issues. And I'm using only one as an example, but I've, I've seen this over and over again. And so it's really easy to publish a, an ebook, and, you know, you don't have to get it edited. You don't have to pay in most cases, and it's just a freebie way to get a book out there. Yeah, and I've I've seen reviews also of people complaining about the formatting of the ebooks mm-hmm. that they're not done properly. So there's you know strange line breaks and margins are off and things like that because people do it themselves, but they may not you know they may not necessarily be very good at formatting their own ebooks. Yeah, it, it can be. 
difficult because there aren't. Well, I mean, there are some tools now that let you see how your ebook is going to look. But in the early days of creating ebooks, it was a lot like web page design, where you type something into a document and then move it into the browser and see how it looks over there. So uh, that's part of the reason things come out that way. I, I know one author who. Um she actually she she does her own formatting of her ebooks and then she for the Kindle specifically and then she has the Kindle read back to her and uh read the read the book back to her and now oh. she catches a lot of her typos and her errors because she'll she'll hear the Kindle make you know read something that's wrong which her eye maybe would have missed that's a great idea yeah um i have a like 120 titles and Amazon Kindle right now, and they have started in the last, I want to say three to four months, uh, notifying me of grammatical errors in the books. Really? I can't. Yeah, I can't really tell whether it's coming from a human being or the machine, because uh, most often it's missing words, like in an article, such as the uh, missing in, in where it should should be, and they haven't. They haven't given me any false readings yet, uh, so then I have to go back and you know re relaunch that. <laughs> yeah, in some cases it's just the tip of the iceberg because they only give you. I've never seen them give me more than two, <laughs> and I guess that's sort of a prompt that hey, you know, you should really look at this. Well, maybe they just had so many complaints that they have to create some type of a system to prevent. Uh, you know the, the bad books that actually get out there. Yeah, it's probably a result of feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know they also have started um, sending you. I mean, they will tell you that your your review is under review, and you'll get an email when it's up, which they didn't used to do. And so, you know, it may be that they're getting a review that comments about typos in it, and then consequently that triggers a message to you. Yeah, I do. I have some books with pretty high volume, and I, I watch the returns. And it's it's funny that some books get a lot of returns, but I never get to find out why. <laughs> All right, let's uh, move along to our next topic, which we'll take a look at uh, what's happened again since 2006 with uh, print-on-demand and... Also, uh, subsidy imprints, which have sort of risen uh, at the same time that's print on demand. Now, I have some figures here from Bowker, who, of course, owns books in print. So, if anybody knows what's in print, it's it, it ought to be Bowker. And uh, the way you can kind of track the Vanity Press books is by looking at uh, a subject which they call non-traditional. So Bowker breaks out, you know, all the books by the standard book industry categories except for uh, Vanity Press books, which get lumped into non-traditional because there's no centralized statistics. There's no subject categorization for them uh, in that particular way. So in 2006, we had uh, 21,000 Vanity Press titles and 2010, two point seven million different titles were released in that year. So that's food for thought. Give me those figures again. 
20,000 in 2006, 2.7 million in 2010. Wow. 1 million, 1 million in 2009. So it's basically been doubling since 2007. I don't know what to say. That's unbelievable that there's that many books being published. Well, I find that really interesting and yet not surprising. And, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot from authors that they're saying their book is just not selling. Several years ago when they print, um, published a book, it was a big hit. They were able to sell it, but all of a sudden they published the book this year, and it just isn't happening. And in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking is, like, do we have too many books out there and not enough readers? And when you're giving me this figure, it almost confirms my thoughts. Too many books and not enough readers. If you think, you know, I've seen books on Amazon that have a rank around 8 million, which right. means there must be 8 million ahead of them, right? Yeah. 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 We're talking about changes. There are a lot of changes that happened in the last five years, and this is one of the things. Is You know, we're talking about 2.7 million titles print published last year. Yeah, and the traditional titles have only been growing, you know, maybe 5% a year. Mm-hmm. So the rest of it, obviously, is through self-publishing or a self-publishing firm. Right. And there was kind of a massive consolidation, I believe, in the last five years. I'm not sure who the conglomerate is, but uh, several of the publishing vanity presses have been bought out yeah. to the point where I, there's only a couple, although they have hundreds of imprints. Yeah. 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 Lots of them kept their names, but you know that one owns another one now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, of imprints, uh, you know, Amazon, who originally started just being a bookseller, is now going into the publishing industry. And uh, as far as, as of today, I think that they have six imprints. They may have more, but uh, the last I heard it was six imprints. And so, you know, it's, here we go. We've just got all these publishing, self-publishing companies popping up all over the place as well. When, when you say imprints, Irene, do you mean um, <clears throat> it's not like you send your book to Amazon as you would a traditional publisher to see if they want to publish it? You're actually self-publishing it yourself? Uh, yes. Well, some of them are, and some of them are not. Some of them, let's say Amazon started off, I believe the first one was Encore, and they invited uh, a number of authors to, first of all, do the pilot print, uh, publishing and they published for them. They didn't. It wasn't like a subsidy press where the author had to pay to publish. But there are other imprints, other companies that have imprints that are vanity presses that they do charge. For instance, um, I just got something the other day from Hay House, and Hay House has been around around a long time, and now they have an imprint that where they charge for uh, for the printing for the publishing. But not under Hay House, it's under Balboa. And with is that the case too with Amazon with with um with ebooks for the Kindle? Now I know anybody can can put their book up there as Kindle, but a lot of these Amazon singles I I think I've seen where they actually approve some of them. You can't just necessarily print your own or put up your own Amazon article or single. Yeah, the singles are uh how do we say, curated. So that there's like a committee that decides whether your single is cool enough to be 
put into their singles program and get free advertising and promotion and stuff like that. And you know, if I wanted to do a short story, I could, but if I wanted to be approved by them, then you get extra bonuses through advertising. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And back to Amazon, Tyler, too. I talked about um, Amazon Encore, but also they have CreateSpace, which is then you know an imprint of theirs, too, and where you pay. It's a subsidy press, so you know an imprint could be one that you pay or you don't. So it just goes under a different publishing name, and those are yeah. popping up all over the place. Oh yeah, I hear from authors all the time telling me they're going to publish their book by this and that company, and I've never even heard of it before. It just it just seems like there's a new one every month, if not more than every month. Yeah, in fact, uh, I helped uh, someone start their own recently a couple of months ago, and. By and large, the most common way people are doing it is uh, signing up with Lightning Source, and you can basically get a book in print for about $100, give or take, assuming that you have all the artwork and interior taken care of. So traditionally, what used to be the biggest cost of getting a book published was so-called getting it in print you know, with uh, heavy air quotes, right? is actually the least expensive part of the whole thing. You're talking about getting a book um, published for $100, and you know a lot of authors think that uh, they can do their own uh, covers and their own back covers and front matter and all the editing and so on. But, you know, I'm finding that with all these uh, available sources, I guess, lack of another word, that... The quality, and we're, I, we talked a little bit about quality before of ebooks, but also in print books, the quality, I believe, has really gone down in the last five years. And I think it's because it's just so easy to self-publish through a subsidy press or even on your own. Like you say, go to Lightning Source for $100, you, you become a published author. And, um, you know, it's, it's good. It's good if you're an author, but gosh... Uh, I don't know. It sure kind of puts a damper on the rest of us that go and spend several thousand dollars to, you know, get a cover or for editing. And I'm not sure where this is even going to end up in the end. You know, even um, uh, locally, um, a lot of the printers here that would normally have done things like business cards and brochures and things for businesses have switched to doing books and I know one place here that does a very good job but I also know an author who took his book to another local printer and just kind of said well can you t- can you do this for me and they said oh sure we can do that for you and the, uh, he gave me a copy of the book to review and the pages were falling out as I was reading it just because uh, you know I think everybody the printers see that how easy it is that they want to get a piece of the pie and you know, the the authors don't necessarily know anything about, I mean, even I, I don't, I could never tell you what kind of paper my books are printed on. I go to people that I trust to give me the right kind of paper, but I'm sure that you can, um, you know, you can pick the cheapest paper that you want for your book and the, the cheapest kind of binding, and you try to do it cheaply, and, and that's what you get. You get books with pages that fall out. Well... That just brings me to um, thinking, too, uh, Tyler, what I've noticed recently 
we're getting more and more books that are eight and a half by eleven, and what they look like is somebody created a book on the in a word document and took it to a printer, like probably what you're talking about, uh, created some type of a cover that usually is usually just text, and there again, it's probably done in a word document and found actually somewhere an ISBN and put that number on the back and uh, calls it a book. Mm-hmm. We, um, yeah, I, I know at least one author who prints the pages of his books off his printer and just gets them bound. And so, yeah, you know... Eight and a half by 11. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And, you know, does it really matter? Maybe I'm just being a little bit uh, anal about this and thinking a book should look a certain way. And, uh, you know, when I go to... Uh, a local bookstore, a brick-and-mortar bookstore, and I look what's out there published by the major publishing houses, and that's what I expect all the books to look like. And maybe that's an expectation that is, you know, too high. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I've been looking at covers so long, I can pretty much tell you within within $100 how much money somebody spent on a cover. So my perspective is is completely warped. Uh, I do think it's if you're going to put money into any one thing, it's probably I hate to say it, the thing that will make the most difference sales-wise. Which is the cover. The cover, yeah. Well, you know, the book is judged by the cover. It really is. Uh, you can go into a, a store, a bookstore, and take a look and see what really happens. People pick up the book, they look at the front cover. If it's attractive enough and there's the information that they're looking for, they immediately flip it over and they look to see what's written on the back. And so, yeah, definitely, it is the most important thing. Great. Well, we're still on the subject of, of physical books. Let's talk about uh, the other big trend uh, in the last five years, which has been the sort of the, the death of the, well, the mom-and-pop bookstore, not to mention uh, Borders Books, which is, of course, used to be the headquarters here in Ann Arbor, and um, they used to had 400 stores, and now they have none. So I'd like to hear how things uh, are with you guys. I know Irene's in a fairly urban area, and Tyler has a different perspective. Well, in my case... We do have here in Austin some independent bookstores, and from what I can see and observe is that if they are a specialty type of a store, then they will exist and survive. Uh, For instance, there's one that uh, is just extremely busy and expanding, and what they sell is New Age books and spirituality, and so they have, you know, that niche covered. And then we have another fairly large independent bookstore, which pretty much covers everything. And there again, they do have, I I think it's sort of with them, because they carry all kinds of books, they attract the people that want to buy local. And uh, and they do bring in nationally known authors and have them speak, and they always have a lot of things going on there. Unfortunately, what I find with some of those stores is they do not support local authors. Uh, they finally, there was enough noise made around it, and they then allowed, I think it's once every three months, local authors can band together and maybe four to six authors can get together and have one evening to do signings and book promotion, whatever. But they don't support 
support the local authors as uh, you know we we think that they should. Uh, as far as Barnes Noble is the only one, of course, Borders is closed. We have one that is very close to where I live, and I go in there just to observe to see what's happening and what books are on the front tables. And I'm really concerned because it's very, very quiet in there. A lot of times the staff is just standing around waiting for somebody to come in or ask. I mean, they're not even stalking or they're just standing there. And uh, it's very quiet. So I'm not sure what is even going on with the brick-and-mortar stores from just observing that. Well, we have... um which closed about two years ago. Um, all the B. Dalton's closed. They're part of Barnes, the Barnes & Noble family. And um, they actually, our local B. Dalton was very friendly to local authors, but they really had to fight just to be allowed to have local authors' books in the store. And I, ours was one of the few that I understand was actually making money. Um, and, and so it was a shame that it was closed. And I think a part of, well, the manager told me a large reason why they were making the money is because the local authors' books were what was bringing the customers in. Um, you know, we we just have another one here that is closing, and that leaves us with with two stores in Marquette. Um, and I've 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 made this point before that we hear all the time about um, the experts saying how a bookstore is the worst place to sell your book, but. And I think that's true as far as book signings go. Whenever I've had a book signing at a bookstore, I've I've been lucky if three people showed up, but over the course of time, the bookstores have been where I have sold the most the most books as, as a single as a single place. And um, you know, I think I think it will be very difficult to reach a good number of your potential audience if there isn't a bookstore because there are still plenty of people that want to read paper books and. Um, you know, I can market all I want on the internet, but if those people aren't going to the internet and they're used to going to a bookstore, they're not going to find my book. Now they may, as the as more bookstores close, and I, I think that's where we're going, that more will close. That um, those people will eventually go to the internet and find us on the internet, but there'll probably be a loss there for a while. Right, yeah, there's definitely uh, a mistake that people make in assuming that, you know, they can do all their marketing on the Internet. And you're, you're right, there's people people that aren't looking for it there aren't going to find it. Um, with the author events, I, you know, have a number of authors that I try and help out, and I've seen uh, the going raise between 75 and about $250 for a store to allow you to... <laughs> do an event, which is kind of outrageous on the face of it, but, I mean, considering they have to have extra staff around and uh, it may or may not turn out, uh, that's to be expected, I guess. And um, I'll also agree with uh, Irene about the specialty bookstores. There's one that came to mind called uh, Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego, and they do only mysteries and science fiction. And you also see um, women's bookstores or gay and lesbian bookstores that yeah. are doing exceptionally well. So, Yeah, I was wondering about the Christian bookstores, too, if they're, they're doing well compared to the chains. Yeah, they don't seem to be closing down because now that you mentioned that, the ones that here that I'm aware where they are, they've been there for a long, long time. 
a long time. But there again, that's they're you know, it's a niche, and so they're not trying to sell the, all the books. But let's say if somebody wants that's going to go to a Christian bookstore, they're going to go there for a specific purpose, and that's to get Christian-based books. And a lot of times, those stores also sell gift items too. Right, right, and I think that because it's a niche, they build up a you know a loyal clientele over time. Right, which might be harder to do with a, more of a a box bookstore. All right, so uh, before we're going to let you wrap up, uh, each of you has to give me your predictions for uh, 2016. And uh, Irene, you want to take the first shot at that? (laughs) Oh, my, 2016. Oh, gosh, I think that, well, e-books definitely are going to be more so, I believe, than uh, print books. I think that... You know, we've got Kindle, we've got Nook, we've got all these things coming up. I think that actually there's going to be some other type of a a reader that's even more powerful than what is now and, and will do a lot of different things and maybe be more interactive. And I really think that that's where it's going to be built up, and I believe that that's uh, the direction that we're going. And I also, unfortunately, think that a lot of the uh, bookstores that are in existence Today in 2016 will not be in existence anymore because of the shift. And the only way I believe that they can stay in existence is if they shift too. I really think that what happens, happened with borders is all of a sudden there was a change of industry in the industry, but, but they weren't changing with the industry and weren't providing what the consumer wanted. All right, fair enough. Uh, Tyler, any, anything you care to predict? Yeah, I, do, I don't know that I can really add anything to that. I, I think um, I, I think myself, I will probably start buying more books um, online, uh, reading the museum books. Um, for the time being, while we still have our local bookstores, I want to support them, and I will uh, I will go and I will go to book signings for local authors and buy my books that way. But um, I. You know, part of what fascinated me with the Kindle is all the free books. I like to read the classics, and I can get all the Dickens and, and George Eliot and Jane Austen I want on Kindle for nothing. So why would I want to uh, to pay for those anymore? And uh, other than the loss of having a, an autographed first edition of a book, I don't I don't see any reason why why paper would want to be something that we that we continue with. They're really actually a lot more awkward in a lot of ways than e-books are. So I I, I, I hate to say it, but I think the bookstores will be, will be continuing to, to dwindle. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe as long, long as five years ago, I was pretty bullish on these uh, espresso book machines, and they haven't really rolled out that many. There's only a uh, several dozen around the world. It's basically you can print and bind a book in five minutes while you wait, which, you know, I thought would be a great thing for uh, universities. And uh, it would it's a green technology, right? You could order a book and have it printed and shipped maybe five or 10 or 20 miles away instead of uh, shipped from 2,000 or 3,000 miles away. But uh, we'll have to see if they get past all of their whatever technical hurdles they're facing. The uh, the other thing that I think is worth mentioning, and uh, I hate to be a shill for lightning source all the time, but they started their 
I think it's called Global Connect Program, where they're partnering with uh, companies and building production where they can't partner with companies around the world so that you can, you know, set up your book in the U.S. And I believe Brazil has just come it's just come online or will be coming online by the end of the year, so you'll be able to walk into a you know a Brazilian bookstore and, and order an American book and have it arrive in a couple of days with you know no shipping charge because it was actually printed in Brazil. And their Australia facility has been up for a couple of months. They're also promising China in the next 12 months and an unnamed. Eastern European country to be named later, which I presume is Poland. Uh, so we're going to see the globalization of print-on-demand and uh, e-books, of course, as well. So I think also, you know, when you're saying globalization, what I found I'm finding is we're getting a lot of authors that are from other countries other than the United States and Canada. And even, you know, this year, it seems to me more and more authors are living in Canada than what I had, you know, seen over the past few years. But also places like India and France and Australia and uh, uh, Pakistan and uh, England, you know, Greece. We just, we're constantly getting connected with authors there that are actually printing their books using uh, Vanity Press here in the United States. And I think that we're going to be seeing more of that. Definitely. All right, let's give everybody a chance to plug their websites and and Twitters and Facebooks and whatever. Uh, Tyler, you can go first. Okay, well, I have... um for my for my books that I write myself, I have marquettefiction.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-E-T-T-E fiction.com. And I have childrenofarthur.com, about the King Arthur legend. And then for my editing services, it's superiorbookpromotions.com. And you can also uh, find me on Facebook. All right, Irene? Yes, I am readerviews.com. ReadervieusKids.com, FirstChapterPlus.com, and also I want to talk about the blog that um, I run too, and it's called Blogging Authors, and um, it's basically the whole time it's guest posting, and uh, I post articles. It could be on anything. It could be on publishing, or it could be a short story, or it could be an article on any topic. The only thing is that the person has to be an author or somebody in the publishing industry. If they're in the publishing industry, they need to write about something about the publishing industry. And uh, it's amazing. This blog is really doing well. And so I want to give the opportunity also for the listeners to go to it. It's bloggingauthors.com. And uh, there's a place you can click on the menu and find out how you can actually submit an article. And uh, I'm always looking for articles and also, I am on Facebook, both, um, and it's under Irene Watson, and Twitter is under Irene Watson also. Great. Uh, I, for myself, have like 75 websites, but I'm only going to mention three. Uh, RecoveringSelf.com is our, similar to BloggingAuthors.com in that we you know, invite uh, authors to write about subjects related to health matters and uh, addiction recovery and 
and uh, disabilities and issues like that, which ties in with our uh, quarterly journal, Recovering Themselves Journal. And also, I'll mention modernhistorypress.com, which is the main page where you can find about all of our books on memoir and history, and even humor now, and poetry. And the main site is lhpress.com, or you can jump off to all of these other sites. And this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. If you miss all of these wonderful earls, you can still find us on authorsaccess.com. Next up will be writing regional mystery books with special guest Matthew Williams. If you'd love to hear from me about tonight's show, please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views, this is Irene Watson in Austin, Texas, saying good night. And this is Tyler Tischler for Superior Book Promotions in Marquette, Michigan. Good night. And I'm Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.